Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. All right, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. For a large chunk of these older episodes, I've had to cut the original intros as part of a migration process. So all that means is we're going to get straight into the interview here with the name that you clicked on. No warm-ups, no preamble, just a straight one, two and in. You ready? One, two... Where to start is such a killer single. Hell yeah, thank you. Were, were there any other singles in the running there for the first one? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of like the obvious first one from uh, management and the label perspective. And I don't really give a shit about what they want to do with singles. I think I do. But then I realized like if I were to go my direction, it would not work in my favor. How, how do you sort of generally see your relationship with that sort of professional side of being um, a musician? Well, I'm really lucky because I just get to work with really great people. Like everybody at Sub Pop is awesome. They're people that I would hang out with outside of work if I lived in Seattle. And I think that's always a good sign. Um, 
And then my manager had been with him for like six years now since since Bully started. So um, he's just, yeah, I I mean, he, I trust him and he's always has my best interest at heart. And he's, you know, I'm pretty bad with business stuff and he, he definitely keeps me on track and uh, is great. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just lucky because I get to work with people that I love that I know are looking out for me. Um, it'd probably be different if I wasn't in that situation, but since that is my situation, it's pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it. You don't get to choose that stuff sometimes, right? No. Well, I mean, kind of, but it's, I mean, I've, I've heard nightmare situations with labels and stuff. Um, mm. or, you know, like the, the horror story of them making you like scratching a record or shelving it and like making oh, you work yeah. with people you don't want to work and stuff like that, or like remixing it away. You don't want to. And I've, uh, knock on table have never had to deal with that. So, um, from a fan's point of view, sub pop seem pretty, pretty chilled out about everything. Yeah. They're the best. <laughs> they're great. And so having a, having a manager from, from the start, was he a friend? How, how did you connect with him? No, I mean, it wasn't from the start start. Uh, Mm. It was after we got momentum going, but um, we were uh, getting going and playing shows and stuff. And then when there was buzz around us, he was out at, uh, came out to a show with a few other of his friends in the industry. He he lives in Austin um, and he had been in Nashville and then um, had reached out to me about working together. And I, was resistant to work with anybody until I really, really felt like I needed to, or I couldn't handle it. So I kind of put it off for a while and he was stayed persistent. And, um, eventually I was like, okay, let's do it. And now I'm like, thank God, like (laughs) I need him more than he needs me for sure. Um, it's a strange relationship. At least it seems like one just having a manager in general, because obviously it's, you know, it's, it's an, it's, it's art. It comes from the heart and yet you need to have this kind of you know, structure, this sensibility about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think in my situation, it's nice and reassuring because I know that he wanted to work with me before, you know, it, he, he didn't gain anything from like pulling me up, you know? So right. it's, it's just cool to keep that in mind, but yeah, he's great. When you, when you were sort of, you know, getting that buzz in the, in those early days, can you sort of paint me a picture of of your life around that time? Where were you working at the time? Yeah. So I was running, I, I mean, I was doing, <laughs> this is kind of crazy, but I was babysitting like 6am to 3pm every day and then running, I would go home and then run sound from like 6pm to midnight. And wow. then I was writing on my days off or in between, but I had always I've had a job since I was like 14. So I was definitely used to the hustle, but it was any time that I had, I would focus on bully. And then that whole process of like booking shows and getting together merch and scraping together enough money to press, press some seven inches and shipping them ourselves and like routing tours, just like blindly emailing venues and bands and seeing if we can open up. And then whenever I would route the tours, it would break down, how long the drives were and then figure out how much gas it would be and the costs and which cities we had friends, which we would have, which cities we'd have to like find a place to stay or get like a motel or something. Um, and so that was kind of like all the bully groundwork. And then 
yeah, of just babysitting and, and running sound. And also I was interning at a studio called Battle Tapes. Did you have like this kind of end goal, you know, looking back on that time? Yeah, I mean, I studied audio engineering um, in college and started working, running sound um, during my last semester. So that was kind of like, really the goal was just to have any sort of job in the field, whether it was engineering or playing, just seemed like a dream in itself because it's not the easiest to come across. So, I mean, being in a band and, and having a band as my career was the end goal, but I never thought that it was possible growing up in like Rosemount, Minnesota, where nobody even played music. It was like, I still every day am just wondering how the hell I ended up in Tennessee and feel really lucky to be able to do what I could do. Cause it seemed just like such a reach at the time, but I obviously thought that it was uh, possible or I wouldn't have worked so hard to do it. I just, I just didn't, it seemed like it would never happen. <laughs> and, and Nashville, was that was that sort of the, the, the clear destination for you? No. So I only ended up here because in high school, I was a really bad student and um, only had like one class that I did well. And I went to a public school, but in your senior year, they would let you take elective classes at the um, it was the school on the zoo campus. It was literally in a zoo and they had an engineering class there. And so I would commute there for one of my classes. And I mean, and I say engineering, but I mean, it's very loose. You know, they're pretty much just like, this is Pro Tools. This is Logic. This is GarageBand. Here's a microphone. Um, and my teacher in that class, I wasn't going to go to college because I didn't have anything that I wanted to study And I was kind of butting heads with my dad because I wanted to go to a get just like a two years pro tools certificate in a school in Minneapolis. Um, And he was kind of like, no, what are you talking about? Like, you can't study music. Like, what's happening? That's not a thing. Uh, And um, he was like, okay, if you find like a place that has a four year major. I'm cool with it. And so my teacher found me uh, MTSU, which you can get a bachelor's of science in audio engineering. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to Tennessee. And then I just showed up in Tennessee. Got the loophole into Tennessee. Yeah. 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 Great. I mean, it's such a funny thing to study because, you know, like anything that's, uh, I guess journalism's another one where, you know, you can go to school to learn about it. But there is so much room for you to just do your own work, you know? Yeah. Like do your own groundwork. I mean, did you kind of have that ride or die mentality from the start? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, my goal, like I just remember all through, I was thinking about this the other day because I had a conversation with Bob Mould yesterday for the Talk House podcast. Very fucking cool. We never really talked directly about Minnesota because I had a lot of other questions that I wanted to know about. But I had read his book and he was kind of talking about, um, you know, just like wanting to get out of where he grew up. He grew up in Malone, New York. I think I pronounced that right. But my whole experience with Rosemont, Minnesota was just like my goal was just to like turn 18 and get out. It was just like, how quickly can I get out? And so Mm. I think having that like 
just fire inside of you kind of sets you up to be like, okay, what else do I need to do? Like how else? Like I've already left. This is the only thing I want to do. How can I make it happen? But I think that a lot of that, I still feel like so much of my work ethic is because of shitty jobs that I had like when I was young and from always working. (laughs) And I think about it all the time because it just taught me so much that like when I went to school and had to hustle, I had already kind of knew how um, in other ways. Was that in the way that you were finding out what you didn't want to do? Yeah, (laughs) definitely. But I, I think just in general, knowing like, you know, when you have a job, even if you're like serving or something, it's about like kind of finding work for yourself, like all the little things you can do to keep yourself busy instead of not having to be told. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think like with that in the back of your mind, you can apply that to so many other things. And for real, I think bar works like that because there's 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 no time you should be lounging around. Yeah, you can always do something. Yeah, totally. You could be like cutting lemons or rolling silverware, and then you can get out faster at the end of the night. Like it's just, I don't know. I felt like I could apply that to it, but really, I just all I wanted to do was music, and so I was really, really driven. Yeah, I I think so many decisions in music are sensitive in the way that the ramifications of saying yes to this gig or no to that gig could come up to be of like some importance. Mm-hmm. It seems like you kind of have to, I don't know, kind of play your play your cards right. Does that make sense? And have you had to do that? Yeah, definitely. I remember when I first had to make the decisions of who to go with for management or who to go with for a booking agent or all those kind of big decisions that you really have no idea which is the right way to go because you've had no experience doing them before. It's like you think so much about, but really I think, and I don't know because it's hard to say now, but I think that if you make the wrong choice, it comes apparent very quickly. Yeah. Um, But yeah. and, And with art too, so much of it is just like everybody kind of being like, you should play this because you're lucky you have the opportunity to. And, you know, what you, you don't even, you shouldn't even be asking me about payment because you're just so lucky that you get the opportunity to do this. And I think that's like a lot of the way with up and coming artists and photographers too, where it's like, they're so undervalued because people make them think like they're so lucky to even have that experience to have that showcase or whatever. And I think that, Part of it is definitely like it comes to a point where you have to pick. You're like, well, is does this really make sense for me to do? Or is playing this gig with no payment, is the exposure going to weigh out to me, you know, putting in all this work and all this effort and pretty much saying, you know, that's okay. I'm not worth a, a payment for it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it feels like there is that kind of, oh, I'm lucky. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. that's just the start of the hurdles it, it, it seems I mean what other big hurdles have you sort of you know had to had to come over I would say that kind of ties into what a really big hurdle is it's just like knowing my worth which is why my manager Ryan plays such a big role because he will be able to see something and be like no that is not enough like you are you are worth more than that like you're not going to take that that is not you know, that's not an okay rate for you to do whatever it is. And if it were up to me, I'd be like, oh, sure. You know what? I'll do it. And I'll just waive the fee too. (laughs) Like it's just, that is still something that I struggle with, but I'm getting better now at. But I think like 
imposter syndrome and stuff kind of leaves you to think that you're always like tricking somebody like, oh, I got this much money for doing this. Oh my gosh, I hope they don't like find out that really I suck. It's like, no, it's okay. You're, you work hard and you're talented and you need to learn how to like own that at times, but that's a difficult thing to do. Um, and kind of struggling with that is, yeah, I don't know. One of the obstacles as far as like picking what to do and, and being cautious of what choices you make and, and which gigs you accept and stuff is um, just to kind of keep in mind uh, what your what you what your value is or or yeah and it's hard to see your value from the outside i mean like it's pretty narcissistic you know to look at yourself yeah. like that yeah um, definitely and ideally you don't want to live your life thinking that way you know no for sure and but it's crazy cuz it's like if i can't see that i mean I, I know how much i practice and i still can barely see that it's just like mm. it's just, it's a it's such a weird thing um but something that i I try and keep in mind. When did things start changing? When did things start going, you know, prioritizing bully over everything else? I started touring and then was still coming back and running sound and picking up babysitting jobs um, for a while until we signed with uh, a subsidiary on Columbia for the first record. And then we were just pretty much on tour for a year straight. So I stopped working at the Stone Fox. We went on the road and all of us in that lineup had been, uh, had given up our rent leases at some point. So I remember there was a time when we were touring, we just had our stuff in storage and then we were home just so sparse that, um, Stuart and I would rent like an Airbnb for a week that we were home. So we didn't have to pay rent all that time when we were gone. And Clay lived with us for a while where he wasn't paying rent. And then Reese also did the same, just gave up his lease because we were all on the road so much. So we kind of um, switched out that payment with the money that we made or, or just, you know, we're like, let's try and not worry about rent and be gone so much that, we don't really need to and we'll deal with where we're going to stay when we get in town. So that was kind of like a juggling act of that for the first year or so. But then after um, for the first year of being signed and putting out that record, but then pretty much after that, I think there was still times when I was picking up like a few things here and there. Um, But then it switched over to just fully bully for the most part. I've, been primarily doing bully for the past five years and I've done some engineering stuff on the side which I really love and I and I want to continue to do but my babysitting days for now are over (laughs) and my running live sound days are over but um engineering stuff is really the only side uh job that I have but and that's just for fun have you have you got better at sort of dealing with like I don't well, I mean has it has it been hard dealing with that instability of of being I cuz I guess there's a stability of being on the road but even that is is quite like a sensitive place to be. Yeah. Cuz things can fall through when the van breaks down or you know you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. take a lot. It doesn't take a lot for something to change a day. Well, not only that, but you're like also counting on merch money. Like you're counting on your merch sales to go to like sell X amount of merch so that, you know, you guys can all 
eat that week and like be okay right. and everyone can get a hundred bucks in their pocket or something. Um, but I mean, at the time, none of us had been in a position where we were actually making like real adult money anyway. So we didn't really have much to lose. Um, you know, it wasn't like we were all like super comfortable and then we were taking a risk. It was like we were all living week to week anyway or paycheck to paycheck anyway before that. So it was kind of just like, why not go all in? But yeah, I mean, it's wild. It must be so, like quite a lot of responsibility for you as the, you know, the the songwriter and the and the band's leader. Like, do, do, you, do you kind of feel, do you fit into that role? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think then it was more... When Stuart and I had started, he had played drums and, and I had played guitar and, and wrote the stuff. And then Reese and Clay, who did the majority of tour, weren't in it from the very start. They were kind of in it later. And none of them are in it now. Now it's very much just me. <clears throat> but um, I think at the time, I, I was the youngest of all of them by a pretty good amount, except for Reese. But like, I think Clay was like six years older than me. Stuart was five and they had all had experience touring before. So they were definitely a lot more of like, this is what we should do. This is like kind of how you go about it. And I was just like taking note and then doing it, um, which is now my role is totally different, but getting started, I had a lot of help from them. And so it wasn't really like, it was definitely kind of, I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't like, it, it's hard to explain, but yeah, they, Stuart helped me a ton. I, I felt like as far as the booking and like getting the van going and what we should pack and stuff, that was, those responsibilities were Stuart and I split equally. We both, it wasn't just me figuring everything out and that was really helpful. I definitely needed that at the time. It was really nice that they had that experience. Right, and, and sort of transitioning from being the the youngest to then kind of growing up, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. That's something you need to kind of like grab the horns by, right, and be like, "This is this is my responsibility." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to think of just yeah, man, doing that. I was twenty three when Bully started, um, right, and hadn't been to any of those places. Like I, I've pretty much been everywhere everywhere that I've been the first time I had been there was because of tour for most places everywhere and so it's just wild to think about all of a sudden it was just like all right here's every city but even the little things that they knew like okay this is the good vegetarian place to go or this is the good red record shop that we should go to or I stayed at this dude's house when we toured with our other bands like even those just those little things that they knew were super helpful because that's kind of what it's all about totally and and do you think you like will you transform those kind of skills that you've made into engineering because i guess engineering is something where you have it's so communicative and and based on people's relationships yeah definitely i think that it's always a lot of it is like picking your battles. A lot of tours picking your battles, mm. not from the start, but well, yeah, from the start, it's like, what, what is worthy of me getting stressed out about and what just doesn't matter. And I think some of that, and a lot of it is just about ego too. And mm. recording and stuff. It's like, you know, it's okay to like not have someone want to go. Like, I mean, I don't really, I'm, now just getting 
opening up the time to be able to like dig more into producing other people's projects and stuff. But even when I'm like have recorded a few bands at my house and stuff, I just kind of sit back and do it and try and read like if they're open to a suggestion or if they're not and really just reading like the situation in the in the room in the same way that you kind of do um, in the van mm. has its parallels. Right. You can't be taught that stuff. No. You kind of got to figure it out. Yeah. And and so, so producing bands is like, are, are people commissioning you, you know, now when you're back from tour? I mean, not now during COVID, but is is that is that something that that you've been doing? No, not since I it's, since the first record. This is the first record's all or the first record. This current record uh, is all that I've been. The release of it is all that I've been working on. But the goal is once this is at, like you know out and stuff to start digging into uh, producing other people's projects and stuff. So we'll see. I've never really been in a place where I was like a hundred percent sure that that's kind of where I wanted to um, put a significant amount of my focus in as I am now, as I am now, because just having time at home and stuff has made me realize that it would be cool to, to, to do other things like that and try and figure out other ways where I can be working while I can't be on the road. Um, right. And so that's still kind of TBD, but in the works. Do you um do you adapt to home life quite well? Yeah. Um I mean, I work from home every day anyway with Bully. It's just me at my computer and I'm either writing or like figuring out merch stuff or getting proofreading the bio or whatever all that bullshit that you do with releasing a record. Mm. Um and I stopped drinking like 9 months ago, so I even before COVID, I was just at home all the time anyway because I wasn't really able to go out um and I would see like a few of my friends but I stay in most of the time anyway I I feel better at home um so it's only really recently start to sink in like when COVID first happened I was like uh this is this is a bummer but it's not really much different it's not really life altering for me and then it kind of kept going and kept going and recently I've been like wow I'm just I don't even know when I'm going to be able to tour next and really just Mm. those sort of connections that I make getting to talk to people after shows and connecting with them while I'm on stage I didn't realize how much of a void that filled like as far as any sort of social life I had to me that was like definitely was very fulfilling in that way. Um, that was kind of my way. I was like, okay, well, I'm in town. I don't really need to be going out. But when I go out and play shows, I can talk to people every night after the show. I can talk to them at the merch table. I can like, you know, lots of times they'll bring up real stuff or what's going on and how the music helped or whatever. And those conversations are what brings me a sense of worth. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and recently I've really been missing that and just having like that outlet to be able to scream every night and that sense of relief. I haven't really be, been able to find anywhere else. So with it now sinking in, um, that it's going to be even longer, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. I mean, is it a strange lifestyle knowing that like your career is, is kind of based upon what other people think of you and your art yeah 
Definitely. I mean, maybe it's not worth dwelling upon too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, I I was actually talking about this yesterday. I am like a hundred percent admit that I have a very unhealthy relationship with my work. It's like bully is there's no separation between me and bully, and I think that can be somewhat problematic because it's mm. like this unhealthy relationship where I just I don't know what I would do if I didn't have it. I've thought about it often, like just how I would even be able to get through the day if if I didn't have it. And then I'm like, Jesus, like what get your shit together. <laughs> like get your ego in check or something. Because what about it? I don't yeah. know. It's just I think a lot about it. I do there's this um mindfulness practice center in Nashville and they've been closed because of COVID, but they um have zoom meetings and stuff and they'll often say before they start a meditation they're like nowhere to go nothing to see no one to be and it just is like such a whiplash of i don't know like what what is it that makes me so connected to bully besides the very obvious things i just wonder if there's parts of it that i feel like i need because they give me a sense of validation that i shouldn't have to seek through my mm. music you know what i'm saying yeah I mean, you must feel synonymous, especially as, you know, the success that you've had. That's like a personal success. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> was was stopping drinking anything to do with playing, playing music? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, well, I shouldn't have been drinking anyway. Sorry, my dark, my dogs are barking <laughs> i got dumb and dumber back there i've got this like giant dog and then i've got this she's like 75 pounds and then i've got a 15 pound dog okay, that's new okay. to the mix um <laughs> i fostered him and now he's just here for good oh, how long ago how long ago did you foster them um well i've had mezzi since she was three months old she's 11 now but we her and i started fostering papa about three months ago papa yeah <laughs> he's like a little he's got like some chihuahua in him but he's like twice the size of a chihuahua he's just he's a mystery but they're getting along oh god they get along so well um Brilliant. yeah but yeah i mean it was well me stopping drinking was just because drinking was a problem in every part of my life but i think playing shows and being on tour and actually now that we're having this conversation it makes me realize that it's it's we I had only had since I quit drinking and now about three sh three or four shows that I had to do um sober which I hadn't done in like forever and it was it's just the hardest part is because you get to the venue and then you're just there with all the liquor on our rider and you're just supposed to sit in that green room for like six hours until you play and it's just so inviting obviously all you want to do is have something to drink or make a, a delicious cocktail or have a shot of tequila and mm. um I'm just now realizing that since we haven't been playing, I, it, that's been a lot easier on me because that was definitely the hardest part in that past nine months was those shows. But I think part of that is just because you get in your head that you need it to loosen up and like you're a better performer if you're a little bit drunk and that's all just bullshit. 
Um, and it's kind of part of the culture because everyone going to the show is getting a drink. Yeah, totally. I mean, you don't want to be missing out on that fun. No. And it's like also people just love to like romanticize like rock and roll with like being fucked up and super depressed. And it's like yeah. a really sick relationship the audience has with the artists or how they want to see them, which I don't really think it's all that way. Like for bully fans and stuff, most people are really awesome mm. and understanding and like, you know, mental health awareness and just, they're just great. But you know, uh, that's like all you kind of read about if you're reading about the history of rock and roll, like how fucked right. up this person was on stage and how cool it was. Yeah. And jazz musicians getting paid in blow mm-hmm. and just generally every, you know, booze and drugs just being around. Mm-hmm. But the story is always, it's always a little different if you're a lady in rock versus a man in rock. If you're a man in rock and roll and you're getting fucked up, it's like this romantic thing. And he's like sad and like, What's you know you want to know more about him, but if it's a woman, she's like a mess and she's unappreciative and she's a shit show, and it's like, all right, I see what the fuck you guys are doing here. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what we were talking about. Drinking and shows. <laughs> how, have have you have you navigated that? Because I mean, I, I have no idea what it's like to have that kind of. I don't know. It feels like a bit of a dark cloud. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like there's a lot less in general and in everything you do as a woman in music that you are more likely to be criticized or critiqued on that men don't have to worry about. I think there's like a lot less that people want to, you know, that, that we can get away with. Yeah. And I th- there's so much like so much rhetoric about like, I don't know, I was watching a thing the other day and it was like, uh, you, know, you know, you know, there was that um, that teenage couple in, in Massachusetts where the guy was suicidal and his girlfriend was texting him being like, yeah, you should do it. You should do it. Yeah. So a big oh part God, of that. I forgot about that. It gave me on a plate so many things I hadn't thought of, you know, when you just read the news story, which was like how much people played into the, you know, teenage girl. Uh, you know, gets inside boy's mind, you know, like a witch would do, yeah, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me just realize so many things like that. I mean, I like to think that I'm pretty aware and things like that I, I wouldn't have necessarily been aware of, you know, the, the way that rhetoric kind of plays into it so easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like every little, th- it's like if, if someone from like some dude from a nineties band posts, posts like a picture smoking, it's like not even a dress, but if I did, it would be like, oh, you're going to die. I hope you like treating your body like trash, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, give me a fucking break. Do you get that on social media? <laughs> yeah, I do. But I don't even, I literally have like, will have like a cigarette a day or something when I'm writing as like a relief. And I, actually have only been smoked. I don't know why I'm talking about this right now. I'm just like, now I'm just like asking to get criticized, but I'm like half the people who are commenting, if there will be like a cigarette in a picture, which I don't really post often anyway, but it's like came up and it's just like, what the fuck ever you're yelling at me. I have one cigarette a day. You're probably pounding like six beers tonight. Yeah, like gives a fuck. Fuck off. Like, just half, like, the, half the world smoke. Yeah. And also you, you just don't even know my relationship with it. And, yeah. Also, it, also, it doesn't matter. Even if you did, fuck off. Like, I just ignore it now. I used to like. Well, I ignore it if I feel like I'm like this is just so ridiculous. There's no point of engaging. I mean, if someone really right. wanted to have a conversation or was like 
seriously trying to inquire about something or had a concern, I would be like, let's open up this conversation. But a lot of those just like, you know, every once in a while you'll get some like crazy fucking comment. Like I got the other day uh, from somebody like saying the live show was $10 too much or something. And I was just like, I didn't say anything back, but in my head I was like, amen, I fucking hear you. Like, I don't like we're, this is all I have. Like my financial, like I have a career off touring and that's gone. So like, I don't know, but it's just like stuff like that where it's like, there's no point in me arguing about this when it's little things like that, or just realizing no one's going to, everyone's going to have a problem with everything, no matter what, like you can, think about what you're going to say over and over again and try and, and and lay out the perfect paragraph or whatever. And and no matter what, someone's going to take issue with something. But I mean, I don't, I say that in like recently, <laughs> recently, well, in general, things are great. Those are, that's very few and far between, but it's always the thing that you remember, unfortunately. And with, with social media in, in as like a wider topic, have you, do you feel like at peace with your kind of relationship with it and, you know, how you're using it as a tool. And I mean, let's face it, it's part of the job, right? Oh, it's a hundred percent. It's all the job is right now. Cause you can't tour. Yeah. And I, I have, am still so far away from finding peace with it, but a little bit closer than I was because, um, my management will pretty much like take control of everything they'll like get my text for things and then they'll just post everywhere and and they'll keep up and they'll do it because if it was up to me I would never do it and kind of just like giving over those reins for the most part like Facebook and Twitter I mean I don't even really go on it's like maybe once a month I'll check something Instagram I'll go on and you'll kind of and I'll post personal things um, to kind of try and equal out the other things but in general, like kind of just giving the reins over to them has really helped me a lot because I'm like, okay, this, this isn't for me. This isn't for me to be personal. And, and, and sometimes like Instagram is, but they're doing what they need to do so that like, this is for the business as shitty as it sounds. It's true. It's like, well, I I wonder if more and more bands are going to do that because I mean, like you said, like everyone's, especially in the world of rock and punk rock is there's this such like, there's 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 so much performance to make it seem DIY and authentic, you know. Um, yeah. And doing something like that, loads of people, you know, well, quite a few people might think, oh no, I don't want to do that. Whereas in reality, it makes so much sense. Yeah, and that's like exactly why I didn't want to do it because I was like, I don't want you know someone else posting my stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like they used my they use my text for most of everything, so it's in my words. But also like what is the latter me having to be on social media every day posting something like spare me? You know what I'm saying? That is the one time I have to go on Instagram a day or whatever is already too consuming, (laughs) like takes up too much mental and emotional space for me. Like if, if that, if them giving them that is going to, you know, take away from some of the anxiety and paranoia or even the validation that that brings me, then good. Like, please take it. Especially when your work is coming from a place of you being like pure in yourself. And like, we've all experienced it. You know, we're in a good mood and you go onto Twitter and you see something that gives you this pang and you're like, wow, I've just ruined my fucking next few hours. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's just, Oh, I could go on about it for, I mean, I don't think Instagram makes anybody happy. I don't think anyone feels good when they go on Instagram. 
Um, and it's just, I guess, part of what we have to do. But a, a lot of it too, for me is that I wouldn't, they push like merch and vinyl and stuff, which is stuff that needs the our only income right now. So like if I didn't have them doing that, I don't, I would be totally screwed because I would do like one post and then just leave it be. And they are just better about it. And right. Yeah, there I has mean, to be some yeah. kind of discipline and structure there. You know what I mean? It's not just, you can't just crapshoot your way through it. No. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's been, that's been great. It's, it's a full-time job. I mean, the, the amount of the, you know, like planning and energy and like they have to this woman, Emily, who's a super badass who works for my manager, who's in charge of most of the band's, social media are overseeing it, making sure things are being shared and stuff. I don't even know how she does it. It like blows my mind. It's just, it's, it's a full-time job. You got I mean, again, that's just like them hustling and, and grinding and like, we, that's, we got to sell shit and no one's touring. It's just, I, mean, I don't know. It's wild. Alicia, this has been a really good chat. Thank you so much for, for, for coming on here. I'm a, I'm a big bully fan. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. What's going on with you in the next sort of few months? Is there anything we can look forward to happening? Well, you got the album. Yes, the single's coming out tomorrow, which will have already been out. Then we're going to have another single. The album comes out August 21st. Um, We're probably not going to be able to tour for a while, but I've got some other stuff um, to put out and stuff until then. So, yeah, stuff's just going to keep rolling out. Great. Thank you so much, then. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Go back to the doll queue Please don't tell Pete from the pub Because he'll judge me But I don't mind I've been paying my taxes on time I'm not central, not essential I've never worked for the NHS Yeah, I've clapped hands and I beat pants Put away the kitchen utensils now Don't let your P45 give you chills But 